0: 1 Samuel chapter number 27 and verse number 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul should despair of me to seek me anymore in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. David arose, and he passed over with 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitis, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told, Saul, that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezrites and the Amalekites, for those nations were of old inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to shore, even unto the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left neither asses, uh, le- excuse me, left neither man or women alive, and took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses, and the camels and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Whither have ye made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah, and against the south of the Jeremelites, and against the south of the Kenites. David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, Lest they should tell on us, saying, So did David, and so will be his manner, all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. I want us to pray together. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing on his word and that he might speak to our hearts. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would speak to us through it today. Accomplish your purpose in every life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. David has come to a dreadful place. He's been living in a dangerous place all along, right? We followed him from the field of battle with Goliath, the victory that he won. He was called to serve in the court of Saul. We watched as Saul threw the javelin in an effort to kill him because of his jealousy. We we heard the conversation that took place as we studied the Word of God together when Jonathan sent David away because of Saul's hatred and strife and the resolution in his heart to put David to death. Uh, we we watched as David fled to Nob and as the priest gave him the bread and also the sword of Goliath, we heard the, the voice of Doeg make his accusations and falsely accused the priest, and we saw Saul gave the order uh, that would ultimately end the lives of those priests and all who lived in the city of Nob. David then fled to Achish, to the Philistines, looking for uh, some escape, some relief from the pursuit of Saul and from the danger that he was in. But he found that while he was in the Philistine territory, he was in greater danger because they recognized him as David, the king. And David began to fear and wonder if they would put him to death. And so, hoping to escape their clutches, he feigned himself as a madman. He pretended uh, to be mad, and they fell for his deception, and they allowed him to leave. He escaped. The hand of the Philistines having escaped the hand of the Philistines he came to the cave and of course there he wrote the psalm and thanked God for delivering him uh, from those Philistine enemies while there of course in the cave Saul pursued him and as we saw in chapter number uh, 24 David had the opportunity to end Saul's life but he chose not to in chapter 25 We saw him heading up to kill Nabal and all the men that pertained to his house only to meet Abigail, who reasoned with him and intervened and prevented him from doing so. In chapter number 26, we saw David yet again with the opportunity to end Saul's life by taking the spear while Saul was asleep in the middle of the camp. And, of course, the Lord had put all of the army of Saul to sleep, and David had the perfect opportunity Uh, to end Saul's life, but again, he refused to touch the Lord's anointed. It was amazing to see the restraint that David exercised, committing himself to the Lord, placing his trust in God, and then to hear the assurances that were given to him. For example, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, in verse number 20, these are the words of Saul after David had spared his life. And Saul said, And now, behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Here's his enemy who's trying to kill him. And Saul says to him, David, I know that you're going to be the king. Then we read the words of Abigail in 1 Samuel 25 and verse 28. As she reasons with David, she said, I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fat, fighteth the battles of thee, Lord. And evil hath not been found in thee all thy days, yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul. But the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. And the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out, as out of the middle of a sling. Here's Abigail. And she's reasoning with David. She says, David, God has his hand on you. You are in the bundle of life with the Lord, and he is going to sling out your enemies. He is going to make you a sure house because you are fighting the battles of the Lord. What wonderful, assuring words that she spoke to him. And then again in 1 Samuel chapter 26, after David refused to end Saul's life with the spear, Saul speaks to him in verse 25 of 1 Samuel 26. The Bible said, then Saul said to David, blessed be thou, my son David, thou shalt both do great things and also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. So again, Saul is testifying to David, and he's saying, David, God has blessed you, you are blessed, and you will prevail. In other words, you will rule and you will reign as king of Israel. I will not be able to touch you or apprehend you. No harm can come to you, David. God will fulfill his plan for your life. What reassuring words these were. And as David overcame temptations, the temptation to act himself, to take action, and he learned the valuable lesson of leaving matters in God's hands, here we find him as we come to chapter 27 in a very dangerous place. He's in the place of despair. He's in a place of discouragement, and he's in a place of doubt. Notice, if you would, please, in verse number 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. It seems as if David has forgotten that God has brought him through some great battles and he has won many victories. It seems like the reassuring words that I just read to you that Saul spoke and Abigail spoke to him were forgotten words it seems that David now is in an emotional time a downward spiral of depression and despair and he believes in his heart as he speaks to himself in his heart that he is not going to escape and he says I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul it's a dangerous thing when we start reasoning with ourselves in our hearts because we have to recognize this about ourselves. Our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. The heart is the seat of the, of the soul, the mind, the, 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 the wisdom and the intelligence that we have, the intellect, our emotion, our will, all in the confines of our heart and soul. And now David is having a conversation with himself Concerning how, how it is that he can manage to deal with Saul and how it is that he can escape, notice what he says. He says, there is nothing better for me that I, than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. He's using human reasoning in a very dangerous time, and he is basing his logic on fragile emotions. Solomon, the son of David, would gather for us a collection of Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 5, Solomon uh, would say this to us, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Many of you know this proverb by heart. You've memorized it. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The book of Proverbs is a book from a father to his son. Solomon was taught many of these proverbs by his father. And David, of course, now going through this experience, is going to learn a great lesson that he's going to impart to his son is that you do not trust in your heart. You know, oftentimes people give this kind of advice to us. Well, just follow your heart. Well, there's something you need to know about your heart. As I said a moment ago, your heart is open and susceptible to a lot of error. It is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. You don't even know fully your own heart, the motives and the desires of the sinful heart. That's why we are not to trust our emotions and our heart, but we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We are not to lean to our own understanding. In all of our ways, we are to acknowledge him, and he has promised that he would direct our path. You see, because now David, finding himself in despair, is on the precipice of making an awful decision. And that often happens when we make decisions in times of emotion. So the title of this message this morning is is taken from Proverbs 3 and verse 5, Lean Not Unto Thine Own Understanding. And here we have a case in point to illustrate that truth to us. There are three things that we'll look at as we examine this passage together. Number one, we're going to see David's doubt. Number two, David's dwelling. And thirdly, David's deception. I want us to look first of all at David's doubt. Again, in our text, we read, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Here we find that David is under pressure. He's under pressure. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 14, And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day. But God delivered him into his hand. I want you to think about the pressure that David was under. He was under daily pressure. He had an adversary, a foe, King Saul, who had an army. He was powerful. People were afraid of him. David didn't know who he could trust, and he didn't know who who was giving him the truth, and and, uh, he was running from this oppressive king. He was being lied about. He was under great pressure. Not only was he under great pressure from Saul, but he's under great pressure because he had 600 men who were now following him. 600 men had resorted to him. Remember the description of those men? They were the men who were uh, disenchanted. They were discouraged. I mean, they. the Bible says they were in debt. <laughs> I mean, this was not the crew you wanted following you, right? And where are you? You're in the wilderness. And they have wives and they have children. In fact, many believe the number in this party was somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000 individuals. And David has to care for them. Can you imagine looking into the faces of those children, telling them, "Well, we've got to move out of this cave, and we've got to go across this mountain range, and we've got to flee over into this part of the wilderness." Well, what's there? What 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 kind of what kind of water supply is there? And 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 what kind of food uh, supply is there? And well, we don't know. We just have to do it. Can you imagine? having that responsibility of leading that group and looking into their weary faces and telling them we have to travel again. Day after day, week after week, month after month, imagine the pressure this man was under. And in the midst of the pressure, what did he want? He wanted an escape. And when we are under pressure, what is it that we look for? An escape. And when one does not come to us, when it doesn't seem that God is providing one for us, instead of looking to God for strength in those moments, what is it that we do? We begin to scheme and plan and try to find a way out ourselves. And this is exactly what David did. He's arrived in a dangerous place. Here's the guy who had been to fight the battles He killed the lion and the bear when they wanted the sheep. Remember that? He fought Goliath in the Valley of Elah. He fought the battles of Israel and defeated the Philistines. And he overcame. He was in the court of Saul when the spear was thrown at him twice, and he escaped. And every danger that he's faced, he's he's been able to avoid those dangers But now he's come to probably one of the most dangerous places of all. It is the place of despair, and he's been ushered there on the wheels of doubt, and doubt is driving him out of his land and away from his people, and doubt is now driven him into the presence of his enemies. I want to tell you that doubt is a dangerous thing. When we begin to doubt God, it causes us to do things that will bring great harm to us. Alan Redpath, in his book, The Making of the Man of God, wrote these words. He says, the language of David at this point in his life is in the minor key of depression and sadness. As we hear in extracts from the Psalms, which he wrote in this period, and he quotes three Psalms, Psalm 10, verse 1, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself? In times of trouble God here we are here we are in this wilderness where are you why aren't you doing anything we've been asking you to deliver us we've been looking to you and it seems as if you're afar off from us then in Psalm 13 in verse 1 he asked another question that many of us ask how long wilt thou forget me O Lord forever how long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Do you ever ask God that question? Lord, how long was this going to last? How long am I going to be in these caves? How long in this wilderness? How long under this pressure? How long facing this difficulty in my life? And then he quotes Psalm 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? and from the words of my roaring, Lord, why is it that you don't seem to care? Why is it that you seem to have forsaken me? Have you ever been there? That's the place of doubt. It's a dangerous place. We see that not only did David face pressure, but in that time of pressure, he made a decision. That decision was directed by his emotions, you know emotions are fragile things aren't they one minute we can be happy the next minute we can be sad one minute we can be determined the next minute we're ready to quit those are our emotions they move sort of in the path of a roller coaster right up and down up and down very rarely do we stay steady let me just give you a piece of advice don't make decisions based on your emotions especially when they're low, because you can make a bad decision. I think about three questions David should have asked himself in this moment when he was under this pressure. And maybe you should ask yourself these questions. Number one, have you forgotten God's promises? Have you forgotten God's promises? David was the anointed king. He'd sent the prophet to anoint him. The prophet said, David, you're going to be the king of Israel. Had he forgotten that? Had he forgotten that God had supplied his every need, that God had delivered him from every foe? As long as David was staying in the will of God, he was finding deliverance. Had he forgotten God's promises? Here's another question. Have you forgotten God's power? All of a sudden, did God lose the ability to protect David from Saul? Well, David seemed to think so, didn't he? Because he said, there's nothing better for me to do than to escape. Well, wait a minute. What about all those times God had delivered him from the paw of the lion and of the bear, when God delivered him from the Philistine army, when God delivered him from Goliath, when God delivered him from the schemes of others? Had he forgotten God's power? Have you forgotten God's power? Did he somehow think that God was not able to overcome his enemy and his foe? By the way, are you living in a situation that you can see no way out of and you have totally forgotten that God is able to deliver you? You see, when you forget those things, you can make a bad decision. Hey, here's another question. Have you forgotten God's plan? David, did you forget that God said he was going to put you on the throne now it certainly hasn't looked good since you were anointed i mean you're not doesn't seem like you're moving any closer to the throne you're living out here in the wilderness but wait a minute did god not say he was going to put you on the throne how can you doubt god's plan you see i think those are three questions that david should consider or should have considered in the moment i think those are three questions that you and i should consider when we're doubting when we're under pressure and so we see the pressure that david faced but then the plan that he developed notice what happens <clears throat> excuse me he says there's nothing better for me than that i should speedily escape into the land of the philistines and saul shall despair of me to seek me more in any coast of israel so shall i escape out of his hand And David arose and passed over with 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. He goes to this Philistine king. He and his his, uh, group of men, the party that was with him, go over to the enemy. And the plan seemingly works. Look in verse 4. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again. So he has a plan. The plan is I'm going to escape this pressure. I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going over to join up with the enemy. And through this doubt, he makes a bad decision. Think about Abraham and Sarah when they were, Uh, when they had left Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land that God had told them of. And God had promised to give them a child, but there was no child there. And so Sarah says to Abraham one day, wait a minute, Hagar's my servant. She's my slave, my bond slave. If you go to Hagar, you can have a child with Hagar, and that child legally will become my child. And since it looks like this is such a big hurdle, excuse me, that God cannot overcome it, Maybe we need to intervene and help the Lord out. You know, you know that you've heard that theological uh, treatise that says this: the Lord helps those who help themselves, right? Yeah. Maybe we should just, you know, help the Lord out here. Do you know what they produced? They produced an Ishmael. They did not produce an Isaac. They did not pr- produce the son of promise. You see, they had a plan, and that plan was produced as a result of their doubt. I think about Naomi. Naomi was David's great-great-grandmother. And she and her husband lived in Bethlehem, Judah. And in the book of Ruth, in chapter number one in verse one, the Bible said, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. So let's get the picture. Here are these inhabitants of Bethlehem. They are are a part of the nation of Israel, and they are in famine. And in the famine, they begin to doubt that God can protect them and provide for them. And so they go to a place called the land of Moab, and they go there just to stay for a short time. The Bible says in verse 2, and the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. They didn't just sojourn for a little while, you know, until things got better and then head back to Bethlehem. No, no, they continued there. Verse 3, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons, and they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about 10 years. Remember now, she was just going to sojourn, but now it's been 10 years. She's lost her husband, verse 5. And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. She went out because of the famine. It seemed rational to her. It seemed logical to her. She needed to make a way of escape. She needed a change of pace, a different pace of life. And so she headed down to Moab just for a short time. But when she got there, she stayed there. And then her husband died and then her sons died in verse number 19 she returns she returns with one of her daughters in law a young lady named ruth in verse 19 in ruth chapter 1 the bible said so they too went until they came to bethlehem and it came to pass when they were come to bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and they said is this naomi they hadn't seen her in years No doubt she looked different, more gray, maybe more frail because of stress. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi? seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the almighty hath afflicted me. She said, I I thought I was in a famine. I, I, I thought I went out empty, but the truth of the matter is I went out full. I found out when I got there that what I had before I ever left was much more than I could ever have in Moab. And now I've come back empty. You see, when we're filled with doubt and we start acting on our own deceptive hearts moving according to the impulses of our emotions and we have failed to trust and obey God, we come to a very dangerous place. We see, first of all, here David's doubt. Secondly, we see David's dwelling. Look at verse 5. David said unto Achish I have now found grace in thine eyes let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there for why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee then Achish gave him Ziklag that day therefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day and the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistine was a full year and four months 16 months he was there who was he there with the enemies of God the Philistines, his sworn enemy, the Philistines. He's living among them. He's living in their territory. He is outside of his own land, the inheritance of the Lord, and he's living now in a foreign land among the enemies of God. And the thing is, David has chosen this for himself. In chapter 26, David blames Saul and his men for driving him out of the inheritance of the Lord. But now we find that David himself has gone over Onto to the other side to the enemy, and he's living in the place called Ziklag, and that's going to play historically in his life. What do we need to know about it? Here's what we need to know about it. He didn't belong there. Just like Naomi didn't belong in Moab, David didn't belong in Ziklag. Let me tell you something, young people. God has given you a place Don't try to get away from it. Husbands and wives, God has given you a place. Don't try to get away from it. Christian people, you have a church family. You have a place where you can serve God and live God and enjoy the blessings of God. Don't drift away from the place of God's blessing and protection. David went to the place and he stayed a year In four months i remember obviously growing up in church we used to sing the song i can't feel at home in this world anymore you cannot be a christian and be content to live as a citizen not of heaven but of the world it doesn't work we see david's doubt we see david's dwelling then lastly we see david's deception Verse number 8, and David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezrites and the Amalekites, for those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive and took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Whither have ye made a road today? That means, you know, where where have you been today? Here are you coming back with all of this this, uh, bounty from battle, all of these things that you have taken from your foes. Where have you been fighting? And David said against the south of Judah and against the south of the Jeremelites, and against the south of the Kenites. These are his own people. These are the Israelites he's speaking about. He's saying, I went to fight my own people. Now, that was a lie. That wasn't the truth. He had been to fight the Geshurites, the Gezerites, and the Amalekites, but he did not want Achish to know it. And so in verse 11, the Bible gives us further explanation and says, David saved neither man nor woman alive in those three towns or among those three groups of people to bring tidings to Gath saying lest they should tell on us saying so did David and so will be his manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines in other words he left no one alive because he didn't want word getting back to Achish verse 12 and Achish believed David saying he hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him therefore he shall be my servant forever now Let me just say this. Let's just note or look at the matter of David's attacks upon the Canaanites. The groups that were mentioned that he invaded, the Geshurites, the Gezrites, and the Amalekites, the Bible tells us that these were of old inhabitants of the land. That's important for us to note because it reveals to us who they are. They are the Canaanite people, and God was bringing judgment against the Canaanites. You see, when the children of Israel came into the land of Canaan after the exodus, after the wandering in the wilderness, as they entered into Canaan, they were commanded to utterly drive out the Canaanites, to drive them totally out of the land, to make no league with them, but to end their lives, to to smite them and to kill them. God was bringing judgment. You see, the people... The nation of Israel was an instrument of God's judgment against the heathen world that dated back some 400 years prior when the Lord said uh, to to, uh, Joseph and to Jacob that the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. In other words, God was saying, I'm going to bring judgment against these nations. Now, let me just say this. He brought judgment against them because they had rejected him. They had rejected his truth. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the patriarchs, they had dwelt in the land among them. They had revealed to those nations who the true and the living God was. And we know that's true because when the spies entered in uh, to Jericho and Rahab took them into her home, here's what she said to them. She said, we know that God delivered you from Egypt. We know the mighty works that he did. We know that he parted the sea, and we know that as you come into this land that God has given it to you. But the only citizen in the city of Jericho that was willing to acknowledge that and repent was Rahab. The rest of them were willing to fight and rebel against God. That's why God in his judgment said to the children of Israel, drive them out. And so David is fighting battles that his forefathers had failed to fight. By the way, when you and I don't do what we're supposed to, it causes consequences for our children and our grandchildren and those who follow. And if you want a summary of the disobedience of Israel in this matter, let me give you a reference to look up a little later. Judges chapter 1, verses 19 through 36. Judges chapter 1, verses 19 through 36 details for us uh, the disobedience of the people of Israel in the matter of driving out the Canaanites. So David is going to fight the Canaanites. He's fighting, as Abigail said in chapter 25, the battles of the Lord. The problem is that David is not only fighting the battles of the Lord, but because of his deception, he's covering his own tracks. He is intermingling his motive with what God had given them to do. That's a dangerous place to be because then there's a question David why are you fighting these battles for the Lord for obedience to God or for your self-advancement and here we find that David is fighting them at least in part for his own self-advancement that calls into question his motives and he is lying about this he is telling Achish Achish uh, I'm going to fight my own people you see he is a deceiver You see, when we make bad decisions and we end up in a place that we don't need to be in, here's what we find ourselves doing. We find ourselves, number one, lying to ourselves, deceiving ourselves, justifying ourselves for what we're doing, and then establishing a pattern of deception for all those around us. And, friend, I want to tell you that's a miserable place to be. You're talking about pressure. When you go down that road and you have to live that life, you're under more pressure than you've ever been under. When you have to cover one lie with another lie and then another lie, when you attempt to justify your actions and you won't be honest, oh, my friend, that's a dangerous place to be. This is the place where he is. You see, David is no longer hiding in the wilderness of Ziph in order to survive. He's now hiding the truth, telling lies to the Philistines, in order to survive he's in a dangerous place isn't he how'd he get there because of his doubt are you doubting god and his goodness what situation are you dealing with what circumstance are you under what plan are you making remember what the bible says trust in the lord with all thine heart lean not to thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him What does he say in his word? What does he want you to do? Where has he placed you? In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. You see, the decision should have never been David's. It should have only been God's. And the decision you need to make today shouldn't be yours. It should be God's. Are you willing to allow God to make the decision? How about your dwelling? Have you drifted from the place that God has put you? Oh, friend, don't drift. Don't don't dwell among the enemy. You'll stay there longer than you ever meant to stay. And then the deception. Some of us are living lies, living in a pattern of lies, and we just need to come clean and confess it to God. And I got some good news for you. If you'll do that, do you know what God will do? He'll forgive you and he'll bless you. I think about, Naomi, she said, said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I went out full, but I've come back empty. But let me tell you about the amazing grace of God. God restored everything that Naomi lost. He restored her land. All of her land was restored back to her because Boaz redeemed Ruth and Naomi with him. And the Bible tells us that Boaz took Ruth in chapter 4 and verse 13, and she was his wife, and he went in unto her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine own age." For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. You see, I want to tell you, if you trust God and come to him, he'll forgive you and he'll restore you. And may the Lord help us. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org.